This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Hello, sports fans. Hey, if you are looking for free public land on which to hunt and not be crowded, I think we have a listener with a good suggestion for finding just that. And we're also going to figure out what is the best scope for a 30 6 rifle for shooting out to about 350 yards. All that and a lot more on this episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast. Well, if you've ever listened to one of our podcasts before, you will know that we start off with one of our patrons on Patreon. We dare, uh, answer all of the questions when they come in as quickly as we can. Sometimes we're out hunting in the boonies. We don't get to it for five or seven days, but we jump on those right off the bat. And here is one recently from Mike. Mike says, Hey, Ron, I believe that you have a Banish 30. That is a suppressor or a muzzle silencer. I intend to use one on my 270 and 300 Winchester Magnum for deer in South Carolina, elk in Wyoming, and plains game in Africa. Do you recommend the Banish 30? Any experience with the Banish backcountry? Does the Banish 30 offer any benefits over more reasonably priced suppressors that are not all titanium? I was not able to find much information on choosing a suppressor on your blog or YouTube channel, so thanks, and I hope that you have a successful hunting season. Well, I wrote right back and said, hey, Mike, it turns out that I do have the backcountry, not the banish. My backcountry is 7.5 ounces. It's only 5 inches long, so it's lightweight and wonderful. I no longer have to fish for hearing protection when a quick shot opportunity arises. I recently took an Oryx with it, and I am sold. Titanium is lighter and it lasts longer than steel, but it doesn't ever have to be cleaned. And if you want to clean it, you can just pour solvent in it, let it sit to dissolve the carbon, and then pour it out. So that's it. A 30 caliber can fits everything up through 30 calibers. So I'm really excited about this device. And Silencer Central, which makes it, is 
making the whole process really simple because they do all the complicated government paperwork for you. It still takes a long time for the darn government to respond and get things done. But boy, once they do and you have your muffler, silencer, suppressor, can, call it what you like, you can switch it from rifle to rifle and knock that sound down to where you can hunt and shoot quickly without worrying about blasting your ears out. Now, you don't have to get a titanium one. The, the advantage to titanium is lighter weight. You save a few ounces of weight. To me, it's worth it because I want it to be on a lightweight rifle that's not too heavily unbalanced toward the muzzle. And the five inches, I think, really makes it uh, a works for me. I mean, I've, I've always resisted these, these big silencers because they're so long, they make the rifle look ridiculous. I think they still look silly, even the short ones. But man, pretty is as pretty does. And I just love the effect. It also tames the recoil. It almost works like a muzzle brake. So you've got reduced recoil and definitely reduced noise down to the levels at which you are not getting permanent hearing damage. So worth looking into. Get the stainless steel variety, a little more weight, but a lot less cost than the titanium. So good luck with yours, Mike. Now this is from Colby. What do you recommend for a low light scope and a 22 inch Ruger M77 30-06 for shooting to 350 yards and closer? I have a budget of $2,000. Thanks a lot. <laughs> well, I wrote back, Colby, hey, there are dozens of these scopes, so I can't nail it down. But what you want to look for is a scope with fully multi-coated lenses because that maximizes the amount of light that reaches your eye. Then keep the exit pupil large. And the exit pupil is that circle of light you see in the eyepiece when you hold the scope at about arm's length. This little circle has to match the diameter of your eye's pupil to let maximum light in. At last shooting light, your pupil is likely to dilate to about 5 millimeters, maybe 6 millimeters. To get this size in the exit pupil of your scope, you would need a 50 millimeter objective lens and the power set to about 8x. You can divide the objective lens diameter by the magnification to get the diameter of the exit pupil. So a 50 millimeter objective scope at 10 power would give you a 5 millimeter exit pupil. A 50 millimeter at 8 power would give you a 6.5 millimeter exit pupil, brighter. I find that any fully multi-coated scope with a 4 millimeter exit pupil is bright enough for targeting at least through legal shooting light, out to about 300 yards. If you absolutely want maximum brightness, you'll have to go to a 56 millimeter objective lens, but that is making for a heavy, tall, unwieldy scope and rifle setup. Now that's fine for sitting, hunting out of a stand, but it's not much fun for hiking, steel hunting, stalking. I'm rather partial to loophole VX3 and 5 scopes, but Bushnell, Burris, Rideon, and many other new brands are also quite good. So getting to be too many great choices for me to recommend just one, but do what I said about looking for that fully multi-coded optics business and then play that exit pupil game. All right, now here are some questions that my wife has uh, found on the comment section of our uh, YouTube broadcasts, both my regular channel, Ron Spomer Outdoors, and this podcast channel. She usually pulls these up because she thinks they're 
pertinent or funny or something. <laughs> so let's just figure out what she's got. Here's one from uh, Mike from Florida. Hey, Ron, another great podcast. I'm looking forward to your upcoming 7mm book. Ooh, I better make an announcement here. I've been saying that that's going to be available probably end of October, early November. I didn't count on a hunting season, <laughs> and I have been away chasing game and enjoying life in the out-of-doors here, so I've gotten a little bit behind on that, so we're going to probably have to push that back to late November, but oh, by golly, I've got to get my butt in gear so we can get this thing out and available for the Christmas season, so stay tuned, guys. Um, I hope to get that finished up here in the next couple of days and get everything tweaked and off to the publisher and see if we can't get it ready to go. Um, let's get back to Mike. I hope you address an issue that you've brought up in a recent comment you made about using monos in the 30-06 monos. I think he means monolithic bullets. You as well as others have mentioned that monos perform best with velocity. Yeah, that must be what he's talking about. However, with medium velocity cartridges, there might not be enough velocity left at farther ranges for the bullet to fully expand, or at least to expand adequately for maximum performance and penetration. That was a comment that you made in passing recently when you were comparing the 30-06 with the 300 Winchester Magnum. So what's the best solution when using cartridges like the 7x57 Mauser, which generally has a lower starting velocity? Simply reduce your bullet weight in order to obtain the necessary higher velocity and then compensate for your lower BCs in penetration? Or should you move up to a higher velocity cartridge like, say, a 280AI? when using mono, monolithic bullets in order to maximize your BC and penetration. Thanks, Mike. All right, Mike, that uh, is a good bunch of questions there, but I think you're on the right track. And my solution is to go with the lighter bullet because these monometal bullets, these copper bullets, retain so much of their weight that they penetrate as well as the heavier lead core traditional bullets. So let's say, for example, in a 30-06, if I were using a 180-grain bullet for my elk hunting, I know I'm going to get similar impact performance out of a 165-grain copper bullet, like a Barnes TTSX. Now, I've even gone down another step to 150-grain, and I really can't tell much difference there either. Obviously, you've got less energy on target, but man, those bullets open so well and sold reliably, and then you retain all that weight and penetrate so deeply that they just seem to do the job of a bullet much heavier. So you go down one or two steps in your bullet weight, drive it to maximum velocity to make up for that little bit of difference in the weight, and you're going to get your terminal performance right there where you need it. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, you're going to always give up a, a little bit of your BC but for a hunting bullet, at most distances at which we take game, I think a lot of this BC, finest BC insistence is a little overblown. You know, it, it really starts to kick in after 300 yards, um, but really even out to 400 yards, most of these B, um, lower BC bullets in the all-coppers are going to do just fine. They certainly have been working for me. I mean, I took my elk this year at 413 yards with a Barnes-tipped triple shock, seven rem mag, 139 grain bullet. That elk took that first shot to the chest, turned around, stood there. I gave him a second one. Down he went. He didn't go 10 yards. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. 
At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, uh, let's see. Sam. Sam says, I was recently reading an article in an outdoor magazine. As I was reading, I was thinking to myself, this man writes like Ron Speaks. As it turns out, you wrote the article. <laughs> hey, that's a good observation, Sam. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. Over the years, I've written so many articles and I've given so many of these broadcasts and such that I think I just I just kind of spit out what's in my brain, whether it comes out through my fingers or out of my mouth. I guess I, I sound the same. So thanks for noticing. Now, this is uh, someone named Springfield. If you live outside of a major city in a state with a decent public land program, there are tons of wilderness areas to explore. The land only gets crowded during rifle deer season and opening days. Oh, so this is in reference to something I said about the difficulty of finding places to hunt. It's one of the major complaints for hunters these days is where can I go? So many places are posted. He's saying that he's finding plenty of places. Here, out in the middle of small game season, the land is all yours. As a new hunter, a young hunter, land access has not seriously limited my hunting opportunities. Well, great, Springfield. It is only my work hours, my motivation, or too much internet time that does. Oh, that is a great attitude, Springfield. So here we have a young hunter who is not complaining and whining about finding no places. He's getting out there and finding the places. Uh, he mentioned wilderness to explore, and I suspect based on what he's talking about, small game and public land programs, he's probably really in the Midwest where a lot of areas on private land have been opened up by the uh, state fish and game agency paying landowners to allow access to licensed hunters. It's a great little system, and it opens up lots of smaller fields to small game hunting, upland bird hunting, waterfowling, deer hunting, and whatnot. And what Springfield has discovered is that outside of deer season with the big rush of everybody trying to get their buck for the year, he goes out in the off, off season and he finds his small game hunting without the crowds. That is definitely worth looking into. I myself have done a lot of hunting on these smaller public properties in the Midwest, South Dakota, Nebraska, and Kansas especially. And there are literally millions of acres available in small chunks scattered around. So you have to do a little bit of searching. Most of them are identified online with these state fish and game sites. And I have found that I can get inside of some of those and have fantastic hunting, get a limit of pheasants in as, as little as an hour, even jump deer out of the cattails. And just it's just amazing what's all out there if you just get off your internet <laughs> and get out in the field. So more power to you, Springfield here. It's a great attitude. All right, uh, this is from Mark. Hey, are we surviving the apocalypse or are we lounging in the woods seeking supper? 
Are we in the Great Plains out west or the Tai Tai Woods of the North Florida? Oh, he's referring to my uh, piece on survival rifle. What I think is the best survival rifle. And good points. A lot of people made similar points. Like, well, how are you defining survival? And is this warfare or is this just the... Uh, the uh, support medium has fallen apart uh, and you can't get food anymore in the stores and sort of a bug out situation. And that was what I was thinking on the bug out situation. You know, what happens if suddenly services are cut off, electricity goes out, the supply chain breaks and you can't get normal food and whatnot. How are you going to survive? You know, our, our um, ancestors were good at surviving. Daniel Boone and on down the line, Native Americans, they all knew how to live off the land. We've got much better equipment these days, but you have to have the right equipment and enough ammunition in your rifle to be able to last for a while out there. And that's why I chose the 22 long rifle. And a lot of people chewed me out and said, that's stupid. What you want is a 12 gauge because it's more versatile. True, but it's also louder, heavier, and you got a lot of weight in your ammunition with the two two long rifle my gosh you can have hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of rounds uh for a lot less weight and space so you throw them in your bag and you're good um some folks said the 223 was a great option and it is but a small game you're going to damage a lot of meat even with headshots and i think if we ever get to the point where we're scrounging off the land again you're going to be finding a lot more small game than big game because fairly early on, people will shoot the deer and the elk and everything and eat them. And then the populations will be in low ebb, shall we say, whereas the bunnies and the rabbits and uh, squirrels and whatnot going to be more of those around. And a 22 is perfect for that. You can head shoot birds, even waterfowl if you have to, and head shoot deer. So that's why I picked the 22 guys. It just seems to me like it's logistically the better option. And it's quiet, very quiet. And put a silencer on it and it's really quiet. So you could get away with a lot of hunting in someone's backyard, essentially taking game and not alerting them to it so they don't come and steal it from you. <laughs> Who knows what happens? All right, that was a good one. Now here's William. Ron, I've been shooting since I was 16 or 17. I've been a gun owner since I was 19 and a hand loader since I was 22. But I'm now 50 years beyond that. And in all that time, I have never really hunted. It's just taken, uh, it's just a box that I could never check off. Well, why not? Well, because I wanted a mentor, as you've suggested. I took a hunter safety course with a guy who said he knew Elmer Keith. So, <laughs> you know, that was a while ago. Well, I have suitable rifles and handguns, suitable cartridges. I even got an out-of-state license for a Wyoming elk hunt, but I never went elk hunting or anything else. For one reason or another, it just never worked out. Potential mentors have let me down. I lost my job. I had to save money at that point. I really regret not being able to join your fraternity of hunters. I looked forward to endless arguments of big bullets versus slow and which powders to use. And I looked forward to the camping and the chatting around the fires and listening to the myriad of experts who I would listen to with a handful, not just a pinch of salt, but my loss. I never went hunting. Well, that's kind of sad, William. But I got to tell you, buddy, it's not over till it's over. You're uh, sounding like about the same age as I am, and I'm still getting out there. Gosh, I just got back from an elk hunt and a pronghorn hunt, and I'm still climbing the mountains. It can still be done. 
Um, obviously, it's easier for me because I've been at it for so long, but there's no reason why you can't get out there with a license, legally licensed to go hunting, even if it's just small game. Squirrels and rabbits are a great place to find some solace out in the woods and enjoy a hunt without a lot of competition. And you learn as you go. There's no absolute right or wrong way to do this stuff beyond safety and obeying the game laws. So get on out there and do it. Soak it up. There is nothing quite as satisfying and joyful, at least for me, than being out in nature as a participant like every other animal out there doing their thing. You know, the, the deer are supposed to browse and the uh, elk are supposed to graze and the coyotes are supposed to hunt rabbits and, and the wolves are taking down the elk. And I, as a naturally made predator with my binocular vision and my canine teeth and my skills of using tools in my hands, I'm able to be a successful hunter. So you can do the very same thing. Get out there and enjoy it. It's just wonderfully satisfying. Even if you don't get a thing, you're just going to get so much satisfaction and joy from participating in nature. I urge you to get out. It's not too late, William. All right. Let's see what the new questions are that the team has cranked out for us. Get this computer to turn on and find out that Christopher from Arizona is asking us about the Norma Bond Strike Bullet for the 6.5 Creedmoor. What are your thoughts on it, Ron? Well, the Norma ammunition is very high quality, has been for a long time. Made in Sweden, imported into the States, good quality brass, excellent performance all the time. I've just had great luck with it. Um, the Bond Strike Bullet is just kind of another bonded bullet, you know, lead core bonded to the jacket and uh, tapered, bolt tailed, I assume, and all this good stuff. I think you'll do just fine with it. It should perform about like every other bonded bullet out there. It might have a little higher BC because of its form than some others or a little bit less, but I think you're going to find out that that ammunition is top drawer stuff. Um, I think that would be a great option for deer. So, yeah, no problem with that one. James, uh, no location here for James, but he's asking about a 5.56. Why can't I use 5.56 ammo in my 223 bolt action rifle? The dimensions are the same, aren't they? <laughs> yes, James, they are. External dimensions on those two are exactly the same. The differences are argued. It's said that the 5.56 is the military option, and it's a little bit stronger, and it has a little bit higher operating pressures, and uh, has a generally a faster twist rate, and it's just been set up to handle that stuff. Whereas the 223 Remington, and that one has kind of been designed for a 1 in 12 twist and maybe 1 in 14 and 50 to 55 grain bullets at the high end, whereas the military goes 60, 60, 67, 70. I've even heard of 77 grain bullets in 5.56. So the chamber is the bigger difference, not the cartridge itself. The 5.56 chamber is going to have a little bit longer throat to accommodate those longer bullets. And uh, that means that they're going to sit there without touching the rifling. Put a 2.23 in there and yeah, you're fine. The bullet sits a little further back. You get more jump to the rifling. So it might not be quite as accurate. But if you put a 5.56 in a 2.23 with a shorter throat, your bullet might be touching the rifling. And then you've got a potential jamming the bullet into the rifling or you've raising your pressures because that bullet no longer has a bit of a jump. It's immediately got to overcome the inertia of being locked into that. So there are some concerns about the pressure issues. Now, the fact that 
the uh, military round is given uh, two to 3,000 more PSIs of ch maximum chamber pressure is argued as a function of where they measure the cartridge rather than what the actual pressure is. So you can measure the pressure at the center of the case or toward the shoulder or the front or the neck, and that makes a little bit of a difference in how much reading you get. Overall, though, there's not a huge difference, and some people will mix and match, but it's always recommended, and I recommend the same thing. For safety, stick with what's stamped on the barrel matching the stamp on the base of the cartridge. The head stamp of the cartridge, if it says 223 Remington and your barrel of your rifle says 223 Remington, that's what you should use. If it says 5.56, get that. Now you can, everyone says you can shoot the 223 safely in the 5.56, but maybe not the other way around. And that is the reason why. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Better to be safe than sorry. Not that much difference. Now, in Virginia Beach, Virginia, we hear from Dave. I wonder if they do any hunting on Virginia Beach. I kind of doubt it. Ron, having recently become the owner of a lovely Weatherby Vanguard rifle chambered for 25-06 Remington, I'm stuck wondering how come 30-06 brass, neck down to 27, is called a 270, but when the same case is neck down to 25, it's called a 25-06. Is there not a standard naming convention in play, or is this just my naivete showing? Well, you might be a little bit naive, Dave, but I would just prefer you call yourself uninformed at this point. Eventually, we figure this stuff out if we're interested in it, and the absolute answer is there is no standard naming convention in cartridges. It's all over the map. You invent a cartridge, you can call it anything you want. So the 25-06, when it was a wildcat way back in the 20s, was known as the Needner. Um, the 22-250 the was the Varminter. And then Remington decided to turn it out as a commercial cartridge, so they went with 22-250 Remington. And a lot of them will put their name on it just because it's great advertising. I mean, every time you go in to buy a 270 Winchester, you see the name Winchester, and you think Winchester, and that's advertising. So, yeah, you get a lot of... Names like that on them. But then again, you get things like the 4440 Winchester cartridge. Well, 44 is the caliber, the bullet, the 44, and it was pushed by 40 grains of black powder. Well, with smokeless powder, you don't have that much in it anymore. So that kind of changes. But that's one of the other things that they did when they named things. And then the Brits and the Germans will use metrics and all sorts of different things. So you just have to study and learn this stuff because none of it seems to make any sense. It is not consistent. All right, James from Missouri uh, says, I recently found your YouTube channel and I enjoy the content immensely. Well, thank you, James. I appreciate that. Um, I was wondering if you could steer me in a direction for locate, locating reloading data for a 4082 Winchester Mine is an 1886 production year. That would be a lever action, Winchester. I don't trust getting this type of information from an internet forum, and I can't find any reputable print data. <laughs> Thanks. Well, the reason you can't find any hand-loading data is because this is an obsolete cartridge. 
I don't know if any manufacturers crank out ammo for it, which is probably why you're looking for some hand load options here. You're going to have to do, I think, an online search because I don't remember seeing any data for loading a 4082 black powder cartridge in any of my hand loading manuals from Spear and Hornady and Nosler and Norma and Barnes, you name it. It's just not in there because it's obsolete. It's an old black powder round. So you are going to have to get on and find some sort of a aficionados of the old black powder stuff that load that and play around with it that way. Uh, be careful, use caution, start low and work your way up. I'm sure folks who are shooting the 4082 these days are using smokeless powder a lot of the time, but you've got to really reduce the quantities there. So yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't help you with it, but geez, that's just one of those many, many, many cartridges from the uh, mid to late 1800s that are obsolete, but you find an old rifle like that 86 Winchester, they're such good, strong rifles, they're probably still functional. Uh, no problem there. You just have to find the ammunition for it. You can also do a search for custom hand loaders, and there are some, some operations out there like maybe Buffalo Boar, Starline Brass. There are a lot of places that sell components for hand loading that might have some actual loaded ammunition in those old black powder rounds so do a little search and come up with something there i'm sure there's some out there i'm just not remembering the names right now all right let's go up to uh, british columbia prince rupert this is elf regarding a cartridge belt carrier with a 757 ammo featured on your facebook page if i may who manufactures the carrier all right let me get this cartridge sounds like he's asking for identification of uh, an ammo that I had on a Facebook page. Whew, that's going back a while, I think. And Oh, man, there's thousands of those. I am thinking you probably saw one that I remember publishing of a, it was a VersaCarry, a little leather ammo pouch that Velcroed against Velcro uh, that you could put on your belt or you could put it on the stock of your gun. So it was kind of handy to move it around like that. I'm pretty sure that's the one you're thinking of. So yeah, that was called Versa Carry. Check those out. They make all sorts of carriers and belts and slings and leather, things like that. Great company, good high quality products. Okay, Zach from Western Colorado. Hi, Ron, back in 2020, my grandparents wanted to take me on a senior trip anywhere in the world. But as you can guess, that didn't work out. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> so this coming year, I think I would like to go hunt Eland and greater Kudu in Africa. Is there an outfitter that you would recommend? Oh boy, Zach. You know, there are a lot of outfitters and it's not fair for me to name just one or two, but by golly, I'm going to anyway. Obviously, I haven't used all of the outfitters in Southern Africa, but I have had some great hunts with some great outfitters in South Africa and Namibia. Um, I'll give you some quick names. You'll have to do a little research to find them. Jamie Trout in Namibia. Um, Imenhof Hunting Safaris in Namibia. Um, uh, in South Africa, Crusader Safaris. I had a great three or four great hunts with them down in South, South Africa. Um, let's see. Eh, I'm not going to give you Mozambique or Zambia. You just wanted South Africa and, and Namibia. Uh, Dirk Dabad in Namibia is another one. Um, and then there are many, many, many more. You're just going to have to do some research, but 
Those are some names of reputable outfitters who've been around for years and years, and I really like them and the service they provide. Great place to get started. I apologize if there are some PHs who I've hunted with there that I just am not coming up with right now. Uh, a lot of things are cycling through my brain when I do these, and I just don't have time to calmly sit down and think of, of who's who here. I get a little flustered <laughs> and I forget some. So uh, my apologies to you guys, but yeah, get online and just search for some good PHs and outfitters over there. And I think you'll find a whole bunch of them and then do your research. And you're going to want to decide between a ranch hunt versus essentially what's called a um, concession. That can be a large area that involves many ranches and or some native lands that are managed by a professional hunter for really good high quality game production and, and high quality hunting. But there are some smaller ranches over there that are trying to make a quick buck by putting you into a high fence area that's really too small for really good hunting. I hate to have the feeling of being crunched into a smaller area where the game really doesn't have a chance to move away from you. Um, but the bigger ranches don't have that issue. They're so huge that you rarely even see a fence and the game can run for miles and miles to easily escape. That's not the big concern. Now, one thing you do want to watch for Zach are littler operations that bring game in. They stock. I mean, it's important to stock game to get the population started because most of this ranch land was up pretty much like the Western U.S. We don't have any bison anymore. We cleared them off so that they can have ranches and farms and cattle. But if you want to establish bison again, you're going to have to have a large area to enclose those animals. And then you have to protect them from poachers. You have to keep them from moving onto the neighbor's land and getting them upset. And then they shoot them. So there are good legitimate reasons to have a high fence up to keep the game in, to keep the poachers out so you can have a great operation. But what some of these guys do is that they buy more animals to stock because they invite too many hunters to take game and then they need more animals. So it becomes kind of a put and take like in a pheasant hunting operation that some states release birds that you hunt. Not really a wild animal at that point. So do ask about that because I would hate for you to be dissatisfied with what looks like somebody's livestock walking around out there instead of a truly wild animal. And the, the places that I mentioned, they hunt wild places with wild animals. You don't have to worry about it there. But if you find another operation that looks really good and they're guaranteeing you certain size animals and one every day or one every minute and all that kind of stuff, you want to be a little bit suspicious about that. Because I have seen some places where they just truck them in, dump them out, and a week later they bring in some more. So... That is what I can tell you about Africa. Find the right place and the right outfitter, Zach, and you are going to have yourself one wonderful time. The first trip over to Africa is absolutely magical, and I recommend everybody try their best to get over there because as a hunter on planet Earth, this is our heritage. You don't have to be uh, limiting yourself to the state in which you live or even the country in which you live. You can move around. Human animals have been migrating and moving around for a long, long time. Well, that looks like the end of our question. Yep, that's it. Now, I noticed I didn't have any real serious corrections this time. So I don't know. I must be getting things right. 
or they felt sorry for me and didn't give me any of those correction things. But I do appreciate all of the comments, folks. And if you've got something to add to what I say, whether it's just additional information or corrections on something that I might have gotten wrong, by golly, send it in because we always like to get things right. And I learn as much from you guys as you do from me. So uh, what I would like to emphasize this time is it is the middle of fall, the hunting season, the prime time of the year, the best time of the year. Do make time to get out of this office and outside where you belong. Hunt honest and shoot straight. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.